you can tell a lot about people and the things that they're living for, what their life is about by how they talk or how much they talk about something or how their eyes light up or their, their, their voice changes. Maybe the pitch goes higher and they just seem like they're just about to burst with a kind of excitement. Back when I was a, a youth pastor, Back in the day, there was, uh, there was one Sunday morning where I was getting the, the youth area all ready, and I noticed the about five or six seventh and eighth grade boys huddled over in the corner. So being a good youth pastor I was, I went over to try and stir things up a bit, and, and, and I realized things were already stirred up. These kids were excited. They were all huddled around, and I realized they were looking at one of the students' phones. And I said, what are, you, what are you guys looking about? And they said, Jared, have you seen it? Have you seen it? It's amazing. And I said, yeah, uh, I have. It, it looks pretty cool. I thought they were talking about a movie that was coming out, a really big, long-anticipated movie. And when I, I let that be known to them, they said, no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. That's cool. But this is awesome. And what they were talking about was not the movie. They were talking about the video game of the movie that was coming out. Jared, you haven't seen it. No. Should I have? Is it, why should I be excited? They said, you got to see this. you got to see this. So we went into the youth room. We threw it up on the big screen, pumped it through the big speakers, and a transformation took place. All of a sudden, five or six, seventh or eighth grade boys transformed into something that looked a lot more like my one and a half year old daughter when she sees food. They were yelling and screaming and clapping and jumping up and down, so excited. And they were just, they were, I couldn't even hear what was going on in the, in the video. They, they were shouting, oh, I love this part. This part's so awesome. And oh my gosh, did you see that happen? This is going to be life changing. This is going to be incredible. Our lives are never going to be the same. It was hilarious. It was so funny to watch. In that moment, I knew, there was no doubt in my mind what those kids were living for in that moment. They were living for this video game. It, their excitement just completely gave them away. Now, most people may not get that, that giddy and that excited, but they do show signs that give themselves away as to what they're really all about. And sometimes you see it in social media and they're posting pictures of similar things over and over again. And oftentimes there's, there's words attached to those pictures. You know, you can write a little, a little message. If you see the words hashtag blessed or living the dream, or living my best life, or having it all, those can be indicators that this person cares deeply about the picture that you are seeing. Their life might be wrapped around that, all about that. But you know, as much as you can tell from someone's excitement about what they're living for, you can also tell by how devastated they get when that thing is taken away. Uh, there was, um, there used to be this boy band called One Direction. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
It was really popular among 13-year-old girls, so it wasn't quite my thing. But the day came in 2015 where devastating news went out that beloved band member Zane, he was leaving. And this was no, no big deal to me. I, I could really care less. But to some of my students, they were, just, they, were, they were devastated. And then some other students said, Jared, you have to watch this YouTube video. And they showed me a video that was a compilation of responses that fans of the band had when they heard this news. You can go on YouTube today and watch it. it is, it's, it's incredible. You see person after person after person, and they are uncontrollably weeping because this band member left. I mean, they're saying, I love you, Zane. One girl said, you know, I'm going to continue to blog about One Direction as if Zane is still in the band because I just can't accept this. Another one said, I don't want to live anymore. And it, it's just, it's astonishing. The things people care about the most, they often will wrap their lives around. Those are the things that they, they try to align themselves with. It's what they think about. It's what they talk about. It's what they spend money on. It's what they devote themselves to getting closer to and getting more of. Why do they do it? Well, the simple answer is they do it because they enjoy it. Enjoy it. And there's actually something inside of each and every one of us that longs to focus on something else or get excited about things. Built into every single one of us, there's a craving to be just blown away. And so the, the movie industry, they, they know this, and so they create these incredible trailers with moving music, and we can sometimes see them, we get really excited. Oh, that's, that looks like something I want to be about. That's something I want to get into. But you know, people are into all sorts of different things. Maybe movies aren't your thing. People are into, well, beautiful people. People are into great stories. Some are into dazzling special effects. Some are into awesome new cars or captivating video games or the coolest new gadget. Some of us are into delicious food and you can't go to dinner without snapping a picture of that thing before you eat it. Some of us are into our kids. Some of us are into our grandkids. Some of us are into our pets. And we could go on and on and on. Everyone's got something that they find themselves drawn to. Everyone is on a quest for pleasure in one form or another. And you know, this sort of thing, we actually see this in the Bible. Let me just read a couple verses for you. In Psalm 42, it says this, As the, a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord 
is good. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, when you read the book of Psalms, you see people just craving God like their, 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 their mouth thirsts for water or their taste buds crave delicious food. They can't get enough of him. He's the only one who can satisfy this thirst, and they're not embarrassed to admit it, and they don't care if everyone knows that their life's mission is about getting more of him. I mean, if they could gaze upon his beauty for the rest of time, they'd do it. If they could learn more of his amazing character, they would do it. If they could shape their lives to look more like his, they would do it. And if there's anything that threatened to pull them apart and to separate them from the, things that they, the thing that they loved, well, they'd run from that thing. Why? Because they believed that God is the ultimate source of joy and satisfaction. Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are these people crazy? Is it... Is it right to get so excited about something? Is it crazy to center your whole life around something that brings you pleasure? According to the Bible, it's not. It is not. In fact, people are actually commanded to do it. And some might say, seriously? You mean the Bible tells me that I am, I am supposed to pursue a life of pleasure? Listen to Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. That word delight, it means to take great pleasure in. Can you believe it? The Bible is telling you to pursue pleasure. You need to do this. You were designed for it. You were meant for it. God didn't make you with this incredible ability to enjoy things and experience pleasure just so that he could say, okay, now I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to have any of that. You live a life of suffering and misery, and that is all I want for No, that's, that would be just cruel. No, he wants you and me to experience this radical, awesome, pleasure-filled life. Now, let me ask you a question. What is it that you take pleasure in? What is it that you are pursuing? What is it that you are living for? And if you're having trouble think of, thinking of it, think back on what are the things you talk about the most? What are the things you post online? What is your life all about? And then let me ask you this question. How satisfied are you with it? How satisfied do you expect that you will be with it five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? An Irish poet named Oscar Wilde put it this way, there are two tragedies in life. One is not getting what one wants and the other 
Well, that's getting it. See, when you don't get you what you want, you're, you're not satisfied. It, it's still out there. It hasn't been attained, and so you crave it. You want, you, want to, you want to get it. Everything is focused on going that direction. And so that's a tragedy to never get there, never experience what you've been longing for. But the other tragedy is to actually get there, to get it and realize this never was going to satisfy me from the beginning. There's a man named John D. Rockefeller. He's widely considered one of the wealthiest people that ever lived, if not the wealthiest. He said this, do you know the only thing that gives me pleasure? To see my dividends coming in. Oh yeah. But then he also said this, I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted to pleasure. I don't know, but I, I, th I think he said this because I think he, at some point he came to realize that pursuing pleasure, and, and for him, it meant pursuing pleasure without financial limits, pursuing pleasure, he still found himself unsatisfied. What a lost cause. What a hopeless thing to do. What a sad, sad life to live. Now, I want us to notice something here. If, if the Bible says, delight yourself, take great pleasure in, and yet we see all these people running after pleasure, pursuing it, trying to grab a hold of it, but then they're unsatisfied, then here's the conclusion I come to. The conclusion is this, that it's not the wanting that is the problem. It is not wanting, desiring more. Filling that hole, that, that void in your life and trying to make this existence more complete and more pleasure-filled. It's not the wanting. It's what we're wanting. It's the what is being wanted. Just like the problem is not being hungry, the problem isn't that I'm hungry. The problem is if I, I'm just desiring to stuff my face with ice cream and Cheetos, things that are just going to kill my body rather than put in it the things that are actually going to build my body and make it healthy. People were designed to have their, their joy met by the limitless beauty of God since they turned away from him, since they sought after millions of other ways of having that craving met by other things, they've realized none of this other stuff satisfies. The problem isn't, isn't the cravings. The problem is the what is being pursued. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest American thinkers in history, he once wrote this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The most excellent, excellent thing, the greatest good that, that you as a human being, a rational creature can experience, he says, is God. Now listen to this. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. 
to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. He says this, these are but shadows. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. He's saying that all these things that we might desire, he focuses on accommodations, where you live, or he focuses on relationships that you might have, but you can put into place any number of the countless myriad of things that we search after to fill and satisfy ourselves. He says all of those things are going to end up unsatisfying. They're just, they're just shadows of the lasting enjoyment and satisfaction that we're designed to find in God. As wonderful as food tastes, as nice as it is to have money in the bank, as good as it is to have lifelong friends, as incredible as it is to be in love, and as amazing as it is to watch a child, your child, come into this world, these are just shadows of the real joy that's found in God. He's essentially saying this, you and I, we were meant to live for so much more. So much more. They're like drops of water, Edward says. Have you ever been really thirsty and just thought, man, if I could just have just a few drops of water. Edwards is saying, just like the, those drops of water, they might be somewhat satisfying, but God is like an ocean of water. You're not going to get thirsty again. Now this begs the question, why is God the only source of lasting joy and satisfaction. What is it about God that makes him this, uh, this key to the puzzle piece, in uh, the, pu- the missing puzzle piece in our lives? And the reason is simply this. It's because of who God is. It's because of who he is. You see, God needs nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's always existed There is no limits to his being. He's completely satisfied in and of himself. And nothing, nothing happens outside of his control. Think about it. Why do you you and I get bored of so many different things that we've run after in life? One of the reasons is because they wear out. The things we, we, we wanted, we had it for a while, and it's just wearing out. And now it's not as satisfying as it used to be. Or maybe you found out that it never really was all that it was cracked up to be. You got that thing you saw in that infomercial, it came in the mail, you opened it up, and it just fell apart in your lap. And you said, ah, this is not what I was hoping for. It's just not that impressive. Or maybe you learned everything that there is to know about that thing, and well, I'm ready to, to experience more. I'm ready to move on. Or maybe that thing isn't able to do what you had hoped it would do. Or maybe you've just gotten tired of how much work it takes to keep this thing running. 
or working or keep it at the, the level of, of satis, satisfying enjoyment uh, that you want it to have for yourself. You're just tired. I, I, I'm moving on. Or maybe you found something better, more interesting, or just newer. But you see, God isn't like that. God isn't like that. God has always been and always will be. He never wears out. There's no limit to him. He's the best of anything that has ever been, is, or even could be. You can never finish learning everything there is to know about him. He's the source of everything good, and nothing that is good finds its existence without him. There's nothing better, nothing more interesting, nothing more excitement-inducing than God. This is what Isaiah says. God says in Isaiah 46, I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things yet done, saying, not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God says, there's nobody like me. I make the call from beginning, and then it happens just as I planned it to happen. I am in absolute control. There's no one else who has this power, this ability. And not only that, he being an infinite being, he never gets bored with himself. He says this in Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He has the right to do it, he has the power to do it, and he has the power to do anything that makes him happy. And this might sound really strange, but before anything existed, there was just God. And God is three in one. He's the Father, He's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these, this triune God existed in a perfect, satisfying relationship with himself. He was absolutely satisfied just being God, just enjoying himself. I mean, this was glorious, pedal to the metal, joy, excitement, passion to the max. He was perfectly content with himself. He didn't need anything else. He didn't need to make all of this stuff that we see around us. He didn't need to make you. He didn't need to make me. But he did. Because he wanted to bring others close to him that they might too enjoy him and experience the satisfaction that comes from knowing him. Humanity was created so they might experience that same glorious pedal to the metal joy and excitement and passion to the max. We were meant to live. That's why you were made. You were made to live. And the life we were meant to have, it could only be experienced in close, personal, intimate fellowship with God. That was life. That was real life. But that life was lost. How was it lost? Romans 1.23 tells us we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. As good as life was, humanity willingly traded the glory of this great God for stuff that they hoped would be better. It's kind of like that, that, that grade school kid at lunchtime, and he looks in his sack lunch, and he realizes, okay, I see what I've got, but I wonder what's in that bag over there. And that's what we did. We, we exchanged. Hoping for more, what we got was far worse. The reason you and I don't have the, the lasting joy and satisfaction we were meant to have is because like the rest of humanity, we've just walked away. We've walked away. The Bible says we were like, like sheep who just kind of wander off from the shepherd, going our own way, wandering away from the life that we were intended to have. We've all gone astray. We've all turned our back on God, the one and only true source of joy and satisfaction. And when we did that, we chose death instead of life. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. That sin, that, that rebellion against God, doing things our own way, disobeying God, that's what it brings. It brings death. And it makes perfect sense. You walk away from the originator of life, well, that's a, a choice for death. The Bible tells us we're all in that same boat. We're all, we've all separated ourselves from the life we were meant to live. All have sinned, it says, and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now you might be thinking, okay, now hold on a minute. I'm not so sure that I fit in, that I really fit into this sinner category. I mean, sinners are those really bad people, aren't they? Aren't they the murderers? Aren't they the rapists? Aren't they the thieves? Aren't they those intolerant people? Or maybe they're those who are polluting the environment or throwing plastic straws into the ocean. That's just those people. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Let me ask you something. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Maybe it was just a pen from the office. Have you ever bent the truth so that you came out looking just a little bit better than you really are? Have you ever cheated on homework or maybe on your, on your tax returns? Here's the deal, it only takes one theft to make you a thief. It only takes one lie to make you a liar. It only takes one crime to make you a criminal. And it only takes one sin to make you a sinner deserving of that sinner's punishment. That's not good news. We're all in the same boat because of our sin. We've all been cut off from the life we were meant to have with God, that all-satisfying, joy-invincible, never-dull, never-ending life. And if we're honest with ourselves, deep down inside, we feel it, don't we? We feel it. I mean, even in the best moments, when life is as good as it gets, there's still something missing. There's still 
nagging questions that percolate in our brain. Is this all there is? Shouldn't there be something more? What's next? As much as we've managed to grab up for ourselves, we're still not satisfied. Not as happy as we thought we would be. Find ourselves still searching for more. And that's because we were meant to live for so much more. Meant to find ultimate satisfaction, ultimate pleasure in God. But because of our sin, we've been cut off from him. Wouldn't it be great to get back? Wouldn't it be great to go back there? Rather than being like that uh, hamster in that wheel, just spinning, chasing after more and more, never, never really, sometimes getting what we want, but then realizing this isn't really what I want, now we've got to go after something. Wouldn't it be great to get off of that and attain the thing that really satisfies. People try. They try. They think that by doing enough rights, they can get all of the wrongs forgiven. They'll admit, I've done a few things I'm not too proud of, but I'm making up for it. Look at all these things I'm doing here. But you know, doing good things, that no no more takes away your guilt than, than pressing out those license plates and writing letters of apology and, and being nice to the guards. That doesn't erase your felony. No. Some people, they try to live better lives, at least better than that person over there. Or... I, I'm doing some spiritual things here. I'm a spiritual person. I, I, I go out in the, the, to the ocean and I just I breathe in and I, and I'm just, I'm just spiritual. Or maybe it's not so subjective. Maybe it's, hey, I go to church. I have one of these. I actually read this. I pray. I do good deeds. I give to charity. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong, but they're not enough. They're just not enough. You see, the only way to recapture the life that you were meant to live is to have your relationship with God restored. And the only way to have your relationship with God restored is to have this wall of guilt that separates you and God. Have that removed. And the only way to have that wall of guilt removed is to have that guilt paid for. Now we have two options. Two options. You can pay for it yourself, but that means death. That means eternal separation from God. That's how you pay for your sin, and that's not really a solution. The other option is to look at what Jesus did on the cross where he willingly suffered and died in your place that your guilt might be taken away and a door might be opened for you to enter back into relationship with God. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am the door. It's through me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now you've got to hear this. He's not just a door. He's the door. He's not just one of many paths. He's the path. 
He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Those are his words, not mine. And we may not be people who appreciate such narrow terms. I don't like the sound of that. I like options. But you know how we feel really doesn't matter? Because it was following our feelings that got us into this mess in the first place. When God says, I'm opening a door for you to come back, you don't hem and haw that, hey, there's only one way. What's that, God? You're just giving me one way? No, you step through it as quickly as you possibly can, especially if you've been given a free ticket. You go for it. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He laid down his life that we might live, that we might be brought from death to life, to have that sentence commuted and to live the life that we were meant to live. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what our sin did. It came in like a thief, and it robbed us of joy. It robbed us of peace, hope, purpose. It robbed us of life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And you and I could take that to the bank You can cash it in that Jesus' death on the cross actually did pay for your sin. And the fact that he rose from the grave means that he is now alive. And because he is alive, guess what? You can have life. And that's why we're here this morning. We're recognizing, we're celebrating that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that because he came back to life himself. He conquered sin and the grave. He rose victoriously, proving that death had no power over him, and he is the only one who can bring us from death to life. And that's why he came. That you and I might have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus didn't come just to save us from the fires of hell. He came so that we might be counted among those who find their joy and satisfaction in God. Those who are just blown away by who he is. Those who don't just have life, but they have abundant life. Those who have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good. Those who cry out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. Those who understand what Jesus did on the cross, they don't just see God as someone who gives good things, who makes your life better, but they see him as someone who is far more beautiful, far more amazing, far more pleasure-bringing, soul-satisfying, than anything else. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like 
treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and, and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that, that field because he wants the treasure. And he realizes that treasure is far more valuable than anything I've got, than any life that I've been building. No, this is what life is all about right here. So he goes and he gladly just sells everything that he has. You know, God himself is to be the one treasured above all treasures. If we realized how valuable he truly is, we'd gladly throw aside everything else. You and I were meant to live for so much more. We're meant to live for God, the only source of lasting joy and satisfaction. Everything else will disappoint. So let's come back to the question. What is your life centered on? What do you get excited about? What do you care about? If your life isn't first and foremost all about God, I got to tell you, you're selling yourself short. We're meant to live for more. If what you desire is lasting joy and satisfaction, then your life needs to be found in, and it needs to be all about God. Do you know him? Have you been brought back to him through Jesus? Have you passed through the door? And if you haven't, make today the day. Easter 2019, the day that you step through. And you say, I've been chasing after all sorts of different things here. They haven't, they haven't turned out like I had hoped. I'm ready to find joy and hope and satisfaction and purpose in God. I need Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can restore my relationship with God. He's the one who took my sin, my guilt, my shame upon him on that cross, and he paid for every single one of them. He died the death that I should have lived. He paid it in full. But he didn't stay dead. He's alive. He is alive. And because of him, I can have life too. I want to ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And if, if you're here this morning and, and that is you, I urge you, lay down whatever pride you have. It's not worth it. Lay down whatever plans you have. They're not worth it. Throw yourself complete, completely in the arms of Jesus. You will not be disappointed. It's a free ticket. It wasn't free for him, but it's free for you. And this morning, say, God, I need you. I've separated myself from you by chasing after all sorts of different things. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to die. Thank you that Jesus took my place. I trust in him. I believe in him. I'm so thankful for him. Wash me clean. Make me new. 
I don't want just life. I want life abundantly. I want real life. I want the life that is only found in you.